Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox's Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me is Rob Hayes. Rob, how are you? I'm very excited, Pete. Football is finally, finally back. I know it's been back in Germany um, and Spain for a little while as well, but we are here to talk for an hour about actual football that is going to happen. I was slightly maybe a little bit down on the intro there. Welcome to For Fox Sake. It's been a while. It's been it's been so long that we've actually done a podcast because we've had nothing really to talk about. There was a couple of times in the last few weeks where I thought that we could maybe discuss some of the bits and bobs and shenanigans that are going on, but there hasn't really been a lot. There's been bits and of news and but nothing's really happened people have been back training and then you gradually go from one set of training by yourself to uh, then maybe small groups of five uh, there's not been an awful lot of injury news or there's been the odd bit of transfer kind of half rumor but there's been no need but now there is because football's back I saw Rob I saw two games of football on the telly box last night the first one was absolutely dreadful, and the second one wasn't much better. No, I, I do totally agree with you on that point, and I'm I'm really hoping that those two games don't set the precedent for the first couple of weeks. I know the Bundesliga, um, I watched the sort of opening weekend of that, and I've dabbled in and out of it since, and I know it started relatively, um, re- relatively sedately, shall we say, but I think the thing that, that differs really between the Premier League and other major European leagues is is mainly the fact that the Premier League is is such a worldwide entertainment spectacle that bar the odd game here or there throughout the season that is very forgettable most of the games have got something happening in them that provides a worthy talking point and as football matches go last night they were both pretty poor and to restart an entire season with Villa versus Sheffield United was never really never really had anybody licking their lips in excitement but at least you had the goal that wasn't a goal and the failing of the first time in 9000 matches of the of the goal decision system and then at least when Man City walked all over Arsenal you had David Luiz cropping up with his uh, fairly regular um I'm trying to put it without a swear. I nearly swore then. I know we try to avoid swearing in case you're listening to this with your family. It's a horror show, shall we say, instead of uh, something more alliterative. Horror show. So at least there were talking points and there was something actually to, to talk about at work today. Football and some kind of contentious issues. It's just nice. I was working last night when the games were on, <clears throat> so I didn't have the, the sound on. And I watched out the corner of my eye the the phantom goal. My first thoughts was the fact that I've got Oliver Norwood in my, for Fox sake, fancy football team, um, which was a horror show because the goal didn't count. I then wanted to know why, and again, I didn't have any sound on. I mean, that's a mess. That really is a mess. 
whoever thought that there was a never going to be a, 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 a possibility of Hawkeye. And you have to say Hawkeye's been an absolute revelation. What, 9,000 games? And this is the first time it's gone wrong. Okay, there we go. It's bad. But it was so obvious that the ball went in. How VAR haven't looked at it and gone, well, actually, that's gone in. And you can see the replay of the, the guy in the VAR truck or wherever he is in... Um, wherever that place is again. It's been so long to talk about football. I can't remember any players, any any positions of officials or whatever. And don't they just buzz the ref and go, oh, by the way, Michael, it's it's gone in. I know it hasn't buzzed on your watch, but it hasn't gone in. There has to be a fail-safe, surely. There has to be another way of it happening. If the watch doesn't buzz and you go, well, actually, it clearly went in. Let's just say there is an example of it going in which was so obvious that everyone could see it, but it still didn't buzz on his wrist. Surely there has to be another kind of way of of it actually being given as a goal. So anyway, it it was really interesting to watch it without the sound and to try and figure out what was going on through Twitter and through text messages because everyone didn't know and it was it was all quite a bit of a laugh really. And then the next game, it, um, it absolutely destroyed Arsenal and they're a bit of a mess. The talking points really. All the stuff beforehand about walking out onto the field and lining up, and uh, and obviously they had the the minutes uh, silence, and they did the once the game started and they blew the whistle, they they took the knee for the Black Lives Matter uh, protests and kind of recognition for for that, and uh, which which was which was interesting in itself. And there you go, and you got the the Black Lives Matter on the back of the shirts, which when the phantom goal went in, Rob, I could not again. Forgot all players' names and everything. I couldn't remember the name of the goalkeeper, which I was going to announce on air as what's happened. And but I couldn't remember his name. It was the geezer who had the blinder against Leicester, didn't he? And um, in the semi-finals. And of course, when he turned round, he's got Black Lives Matter on the back of his shirt. So I couldn't tell from his shirt either. Oh, it was a, it was a just a disaster all round. I found that quite difficult last night when I was particularly when I was watching the the first game because. Um... Villa have obviously, well, both sides have just come up from the championship. Um, so there are players in their squads that I don't know to look at. You know, I'd, I'd back myself to have heard of pretty much every every player that, that makes a Premier League appearance, you know, for, for teams in the Premier League in the current season. You know, if you read a team sheet, there wouldn't be, I'd be very surprised if there was a name jumped off it that I'd never heard of. But to look at, they all, especially Sheffield United and Aston Villa, they all look like bog-standard championship footballers. So you've got no idea who they are. And I only remembered Neyland because he's made a couple of high-profile errors this season. And they were talking about him in the build-up, obviously starting um, instead of Pepe Reina, who is quite old and has also made um, quite a, a couple of howlers in his short time at Villa. But yeah, I remembered Neyland as well because he had a, a bit of a stormer against us. Um, just I don't want to dwell too much on the goal decision system, but I saw a couple of uh, quite interesting tweets um, today, uh, sort of in the the aftermath of it. One of them being um, something about pilots and the fact that they are taught very explicitly in their training not to be overly reliant on all of the technology, because I'm sure that, that all of us know that planes pretty much can fly themselves for most of the time, but to be prepared to make their own decisions and 
make and do something manually if if they're in any doubt whatsoever that the equipment may may be incorrect and i think the link there is obviously the fact that the goal decision system has been so accurate and has been unerring in over 9,000 games that nobody actually thought to question it. Michael Oliver's first thought was when he was getting shouted and, uh, and screamed at by the Sheffield United players and, and coaches was, point in my watch, blame the technology. Um, assistant referees, linesmen, lineswoman, whatever you want to call them, their job historically before goal de- the goal decision system was from their view side onto the goal did the ball cross the line or not he's not made a decision and and even then once those on-field officials have been so heavily reliant on the technology that they've completely glossed over the fact that they're also allowed to make decisions somebody who's watching it on camera using the same broadcast angles that we are watching at home who can and we can clearly see that he gets bumped into by his big striker, he falls into the side netting, the ball goes with him, he looks around, thinks, uh-oh, I'm in trouble here, and then tries to squash the ball against the post. It's very clear that that ball is not connected to the post for a good half second to a second. And VAR, as far as, VAR, as, far as I'm aware, have the power, because the ball was still in his hands and the ball played on, the ball never went out of play, so they have the power to stop the passage of play, surely, when they've re-watched a couple of replays and gone, that ball's crossed the line. Yeah, the the biggest thing in football is a goal. If there's no rule where VAR can't overrule the goal line technology, because that's just ridiculous, VAR can overrule anything because it's a video referee. And I, I don't blame, for one minute, the referee's assistants and also Michael Oliver, because the referee, from his position hasn't got the best angle obviously and then the, you've got the linesman with the way the goalkeeper was turned again it wasn't as obvious as the ball hitting literally the back of the net and then coming back out again for example which used to happen sometimes at the Filbert Street end didn't it a, a hard shot I seem to remember Heskey scoring a few goals hit so hard and the and the the net behind the Filbert Street end was was so tight where it just cannoned back into play after going across the line it wasn't like something in in that sense and so I don't blame the on-the-field on the officials. It's purely a VAR problem. The VAR guy has not used the technology that's there to overrule a very, very clear error. But uh, but there we go. It's I'm pretty sure it's something that will come up. And referees now know that when they glance at their watch, where the Hawkeye is, this system where there's always going to be maybe one occasion, but it's... You know, come on, it it needs to be better, and not just the Hawkeye. It needs to be better in terms of the communication for VAR. Something which we've been critical because of what's happened with Leicester. You go back to the handball against Aston Villa at Villa Park. The communication between VAR and the on the field referee, I thought, would be constant. I thought if you've got Dave in the uh, in the VAR van at Stockley Park, that's bread, isn't it? at Stockley Park, I thought he's in complete communication, he or she, with the referee pretty much all the time. That's just It's just another referee. But they happen to have all the camera angles galore. I, why isn't that more, more of a thing? It might well be in the future. But anyway, we haven't discussed Leicester at all and we're about 11 minutes in already. But I think the best place to start, Rob, is with Andy King. It was announced today that Andy King will be leaving the club at the end of the season, something which I think everyone presumed would be the case, and it is the case. He 
leaves after making 378 appearances, Rob. He's 10th on the all-time list, scorer of 62 goals, some fantastic goals early in his career, some very, very important goals later on in his career. My first question to you, and we know he's won the League One Championship and Premier League, but my question to you, Rob, is how many appearances did he make in the league winning season? Now, if I hadn't read this earlier today, oh. I don't think I don't think I would have got anywhere close with the guess. So if I hadn't read it today, I'd have probably said to you, I don't know, fifteen, something like that. But I, I have read it. If you're listening and you've and you've not read the 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 fact, have a little think about it. How many appearances did Andy King make in our title winning season? I've given you a little bit of a clue there. It is going to surprise you. Pete, as it was your question, and I've kind of ruined the surprise there, let me uh, pass it back over to you to give uh, our listeners the answer. Well, it's 29 appearances in the season. I think that's the season as a whole, but I don't recall any cup runs in that season. We were very early knocked out of the League Cup, I see. Anyway, but 29 appearances, which did catch my eye as well. The, The reason for that is that I was looking at... In recent years, because of the on-the-field success, Andy King's position at the club has dropped down because of the the better players that we've brought in. Um, And that's not saying that Andy King is not a good player. It's just the natural progression of the club who was sitting third in the Premier League. He's a, a legendary player. And the best thing that's been announced, and it might tie into a couple of other people we're going to mention very soon, is that there's going to be what could be called a testimonial, but I think the club kind of worded this in the, the sense of we're going to give thanks to Andy in some kind of, not ceremony, but game or event uh, once everyone can get back into the stadium. Now, that could be next summer. It could be the summer after. Who knows in the current climate? But Andy King, a, a, an amazing player and an amazing career, not only those three league wins, but everything in between, the highs and lows, as every player w- would had. And he said that, and he's said... A couple of words which I'm not going to read out because everyone should really go and find them. You can find them via social media, uh, via just searching Randy King, via the Leicester City website. Go and take a look and read what he has to say and also what the club has to say because it's it's all very nice and you would expect that. But it's it's a nice read. And at the same time, because I think in the same breath of Andy King, you're talking about the likes of, say, Wes Morgan as well. Wes is going to be given a new year, one-year deal. So is Christian Fuchs um, and Jakubovic, the goalkeeper as well, which uh, I think says more maybe about his uh, relationship with Kasper Schmeichel, maybe off the field on the training ground, for example, rather than his playing, although he must have impressed maybe in uh, in training as well. So one-year deals for Wes Fuchs and Jakubovic. But yeah, Andy King leaving the club, expected. And hopefully, if... We can all be back in the King Power Stadium, let's say, next summer at the end of the season. You could then be having an Andy King, Wes Morgan more than likely would be leaving, Christian Fuchs more than likely then would be leaving. It could be kind of an all-in-one Premier League winners versus the Nigel Pearson side with Pearson back and Ranieri back and Shakespeare there and Claude there even and obviously uh, Brendan and... Sven, who knows who could turn up? It, it it could be a huge celebration of the previous decade. 
It could, yeah, and it, it would, as you say, if the if the delay happened, it would set things up very nicely for um, a large celebratory event of almost like the the changing of the guard, really, wouldn't it? It would be it would be this the sort of end point, the full stop on the end of an era, because we know Andy King's career has spanned. Um, a considerable period of time since he came to Leicester as a youngster, I think 2005, 2006, um, as a teenager. Um, his career has obviously spanned a, a large period of ups and downs. But, you know, when when, when he moves on and then and then Fuchs and Morgan, I think you're, you're right, Pete, will, will probably not be in a playing capacity at the club um, past next summer where they've just had their contract extended to. Um, your your squad really is unrecognisable, even from that that won the the Premier League, bar a couple of players here and there. So it would be nice to make that such a mass celebration. But I think if it doesn't happen uh, and we're allowed to to gather publicly more uh, more quickly than we than we anticipate, and Andy King has his own event slash testimonial thing, I think it would still be. Uh, a who's who of Leicester's history of the last decade, last fifteen years, really, because he uh, he's been such a brilliant, and I think servant is is a good word to use, really, because he, you know, he was he was never the kind of bloke to go crashing and banging around the midfield, so he didn't put himself about in that sense. But you knew you'd always get his full attention, his full effort for every single game, regardless of whether it was when we were cruising to the League One title or when we were scrapping at the foot of the Premier League um, in the 2014-15 campaign. You always knew you would get a workmanlike performance from him. And I think more than that, having him as at least one of, if not the only constant in the dressing room over all of the changes that have happened at our club in the last 10 or 15 years has been massively, massively important because although he's not Leicester born and bred, he's been at the club since he was 15, 16. He knows exactly what the club means to so many people. He knows um, the the sort of ethics that are behind the club, the the real, the, the kind of values that the supporters and, and, and desire from the players and I think he's been a big part in knitting together significant changes on and off the pitch and and the statements that the club have made that top has made um and the reaction that it's had on social media from all of his um teammates past and present has really shown that as um him being such a key figure in our history uh, and I think they've alluded to him as one of the most uh, influential or legendary players that's ever existed at the club. And I think there's an argument for that. I think there's a, a real argument for that. And that would actually go to the top of any lists of achievements for me for what Andy King's done. You've got the appearances, 10th on the all-time list, 62 goals. You look at his playing style, just one of those all-round good footballers. He wears the number 10 and early on in his career scored a lot of goals, scores from very, very good goals as well. But that midfielder who can tackle, who can pass, in latter years, never really had the pace anyway, but maybe played the more cautious role in midfield rather than going forward as a wherever number 10 maybe would normally do. But it's that influence off the field, the fact that everyone likes him, that's because he's a nice guy, a good footballer. 
And then you look at his career and you realise he's won the three leagues. He can sit back and there's that fantastic photo, which I uh, put up on the not only Facebook group, but also on Twitter as well, at FFS Pod, if you don't follow us on Twitter, where he's sitting in the changing rooms with the three different Leicester shirts, with the three medals around his neck and the three league trophies next to him. Who else has got that in their career? And he's also had a, a really good international career as well. So fantastic. And he's going to be playing on. He's going to uh, hopefully play for someone like Huddersfield. He wants to try and play as high up as possible. Maybe his days in the Premier League, I think, are probably um, over, I would say. I think it's a more championship level. And then afterwards, if there's ever a player who you can see becoming a coach, manager, or if he wants to anything else at the club, really, he can get involved with at Leicester. But because of that off-the-field influence he's had by becoming a manager or becoming a coach, that that really just fits the Andy King profile for me. He's got respect at every level as well. He could manage at every level knowing he's got the experience of playing there, including in Europe as well. It's just, um, it's just, I'll say it's nice that he's going because it's not, but it's nice when you read all the tributes and it's been done in such a great way. And again, that end of season... You know, jamboree, testimonial, whatever. If it does happen next season and it's just for Andy King, it's going to be a sellout. If it is including the likes of Wes Morgan as well, well, there you go, it's going to be a sellout. And if we can't get the King power, I can't understand the reason why maybe we wouldn't and we'll be able to do something elsewhere. I was thinking something maybe in Victoria Park. I don't know. But uh, it's something to look forward to and it will be it will be really worthwhile. So, yeah, well done to, to Andy King. He's been a brilliant player. I, I look back at his early days when he was when he was, uh, when he he was was younger for Leicester, scored some fantastic goals, scored a goal at uh, Bloomfield Road, I seem to remember, a, a brilliant strike up at, at Blackpool. And he never lashed the ball. He would pass the ball. He would side-foot the ball past the goalkeeper. And if you look at the goal he scored against Everton, the game where we lifted the trophy... That kind of finish epitomised Andy King, not just in his finishing, but also in his play. It was careful, it was well thought out, it was accurate, and it went into the back of the net. And also, it was a goal to win something as well. When If you look at Andy King, that's what he's done in all his, through his career. Yeah, standout player who you'd struggle to pick a standout moment for. You know, obviously we've got the the Premier League title winning season and the fact that he made 29 appearances that season, but he's been involved in a serious amount and, and a huge portion of of my life as a as a Leicester supporter, really, because he he was in the first team from when he was a teenager. So he's he's been playing for in the first team for, what, 12, 13 years and that's um, that's over a third of the time, almost creeping up towards a half of the time that I've been alive. So you're talking, you've got to say at least half the time that I've been a Leicester City supporter, Andy King's been around. So big, big um, boots to fill, really, in terms of characters in the dressing room, particularly this time next year when we're talking, when we're saying goodbye to Wes Morgan and Christian Fuchs. But I think. If if there's anything that we can say about the transfer policy, certainly in recent times, is the fact that, especially under Brendan Rodgers as well, I can imagine that, that personality is going to be key in terms of players that come in. Um, so I don't think, although losing these players 
either now in terms of Andy King or next year in terms of Fuchs and Morgan more than likely is going to be detrimental in terms of the experience and the character that they bring to the dressing room. I think that'll be a big thing that is on Brendan Rodgers' watch list to bring players in um, that can provide that kind of character. We look forward, Rob. Instead of back at Andy King, we look forward to Watford on Saturday. 12.30 kickoff. It's on BT, I think it is. I think they've just announced, actually, the, the next load of games. I think it's three games for Leicester will be on Sky, but there's a few on BT first. And our trip to Vicarage Road on Saturday, half 12. Uh, looking at the, the injuries, um, there's going to be no Ricardo Pereira. I don't know whether he's going to be back at any point this season. I would be surprised. Maybe he might get a run out from the bench at some point late on. But there's no Pereira. Um, Dennis Pratt is a doubt uh, for uh, the game against Watford. He should be okay for Tuesday. He's got a slight problem with his calf. Um, Perez, there's been a few issues with him apparently, but he might be okay. You'd imagine he'd probably start on the bench on Saturday. It will be Jamie Vardy's 300th appearance. He's on 99 Premier League goals. And we're going to a club who, if you look at all the clubs in the Premier League and the way that they got back to training, etc. Watford, you would say, had slight issues at the start through personal reasons with a number of their players, which is absolutely fine. But I don't think that's going to make really any difference come Saturday. And it's going to be a tough game. The Nigel Pearson, Craig Shakespeare derby. And I would like Leicester, along with everyone I imagine, <laughs> everyone who listens to this, to get a really good start, for Vardy to score his goal, to get that 100, to start on a good footing. Because I think, and people bemoan momentum in football and just the kind of idea of it, but I think it's going to be absolutely crucial in this nine-game Premier League season that we have. I think some teams who start poorly, they could really slip down the league. And I think some teams really hit the ground running and carry that momentum I think it's going to play a really really important role I think if you start with a few defeats that one or two could turn into a five or six defeats on the bounce yeah I totally agree with you it's been called a restart or a mini season or something like that and I think it's exactly that what's happened before lockdown obviously uh, will play a huge part in the in the ending of the season in terms of where people finish because that gives us the league table with which we start but nine or ten games in in terms of the teams that played last night um, is quite a substantial amount of football still to play and if you take Aston Villa's one performance last night as as this kind of benchmark they were absolutely dire for all of the season uh, and Sheffield United were riding the crest of a wave um, European uh, position knocking on the door of the top five um, and had that game happened, I know Sheffield United have, have been better at home than they have been on the road uh, this season, but had that game happened when it should have, before lockdown, then for for me, regardless of the fact that it's at Villa Park or not, Sheffield United win that game um, and perform much better than they did. But it's been, well, it was pretty much three months to the day, wasn't it, since, um, since football had, had gone away. Um, and the momentum has shifted. You know, Villa's coaching staff had time to work individually with their players. Uh, Sheffield United's momentum has, has fizzled out. It's a long, a distant memory when they were winning loads and loads of games 1-0. Uh, 
Um, does that sound familiar, by the way? So I think with Leicester Watford, I was dreading this fixture more when it was supposed to happen in March than I am for Saturday because I think the the instantaneous new manager syndrome of Nigel Pearson, it was starting to, to wear off fairly quickly anyway. But I think that will be well and truly gone now. Nigel Pearson's had a lot of time on the training ground now since training has restarted to, to make it clear that he is the manager. He's not the new manager. And I think that's a slightly different mentality. Um, but you it's it's basically the first game of the season where you can look at the squad list, you can look at who's available, you can look at what kind of pre-season, if you like, mini pre-season we'll talk about for this, they've had. But until they actually set foot on that pitch and you watch the first 15, 20 minutes, you've got no idea how the game's going to go. So it's quite exciting, but I have my reservations like you do, Pete, because it has to start well for us because that may will have a huge impact on how the ne- the next the following eight games go and we need to maintain um quite a good points per game ratio because chelsea are breathing down our necks and you know man city being the superpower that they are i wouldn't be surprised if they managed to somehow overturn their their ban um from the champions league so it won't be the top five, really, that get into the Champions League. So there's a lot at stake. It's it's not do or die. It's not be all and end all. But a good start is really, really important. I totally agree. Just to highlight where we are in the league, 29 games gone. That's the same for all teams now after those midweek uh, fixtures. We're on 53 points in third place. In fourth place, Chelsea on 48. So five-point gap to Chelsea. Then in fifth, Manchester United on 45, where the United or in a Champions League place, being in fifth, we won't know until after probably the Champions League's been sorted out in that mini competition in Lisbon at the end of our domestic season. Then it goes to sixth, Sheffield United 44 points, and then down to Wolves 43. I do think Wolves actually have a a very good end of season. So we do have that buffer. Now, when it comes to Leicester and how you think that they're going to perform in this mini season... I personally think, actually, we're going to be okay. I've been watching plenty of the the football in the Bundesliga. I'm watching some of the La Liga since that started. And then those games, I know there's only two games in the Premier League yesterday. But one thing from the Bundesliga, which has been undeniable, is that the home advantage has basically been ruled out. And that would be something you would have probably predicted before, but it's certainly been the case. And also, teams who, and I'm not going to use the term, have better players, but the teams that are able to control the ball better and be able to enjoy knocking the ball around and enjoying possession um, because that's the way that they play. It's nothing different. Some teams who maybe are a bit more direct, a bit more route one, um, nothing that's bad or anything, but... You're looking at, say, the Burnleys, for example, if I was going to use a team. If they're being given possession because the game is being played in 28 degrees, it's going to get really hot next week as well. If it's being played in really hot weather and there's more of that pre-season kind of feel to it, are the players comfortable playing in the system in that heat and in that condition of just knocking the ball around with no atmosphere in the ground? Um those teams who don't normally play that way 
I think will have a disadvantage. I just think that's going to be the case. So you're looking at sides like Manchester City, obviously. Um, Leicester being able to knock the ball around. I think Arsenal were just generally quite poor anyway, but you would put Arsenal kind of in that bracket. Um, the, the teams that are able to play in that style, I think, will come to the fore. And then you look at who's got the better players. So Leicester, I don't really have any qualms about them playing or being able to keep the performance level up that they've shown all season to get into third place. What happens when the game starts? Again, this is just my theory, but I think Leicester are going to be fine. If they don't start well, though, again, what I said previously, I think that could then really go downhill quickly. It doesn't matter what team and what style they play. But um, I want to know your thoughts, Rob. How do you think certain teams are going to going to be able to perform? I, I, I just I worry for teams like Burnley, for example. I, I just don't think they're going to be able to not perform the way that they have been but I just don't think that their style of football is is going to suit the way that football is going to be played over the next nine games yeah I think there's something in that definitely and the fact that they rely quite heavily on physicality and the fact that they rely quite heavily on generating an atmosphere based on that physicality you've got to say you know if you go to to turf more as a home supporter, you expect to see every single one of your players put, putting themselves about a bit. And the heat is an interesting factor. It wasn't necessarily one last night, but if we draw some comparisons based on the, the very little evidence we've got so far of Premier League football, Manchester City um, didn't look as good in the first 20 minutes because possession was being shared fairly equally. Soon as they got into their rhythm a little bit more, and kept the ball better, they were all over Arsenal. And and I know it's Manchester City, and I know that's what they like to do. But at Brendan Rodgers' Leicester City are more reliant on possession than any other Leicester City, I think, that we've arguably seen in our lifetime. Um, so it's a, it's a style of football that we were obviously still developing, because he's not been at the club an awfully long time, and he's still probably a couple of players in key positions short of the the style that he wants to fully employ. But we are very good at keeping the ball. Almost too good for some supporters. At times when our form dipped a little bit, they were like, I want to see that ball get forward a little bit more quickly. But other teams are going to struggle to to match the pace of the ball that, we, that we'll be able to move the ball at. And it's so much easier, football, when you've got the ball zipping it around and tiring the opposition out. And I, I think you're either going to have loads of goals at the start of the game because people are switching back on and going, flipping heck, this is top flight football. All right, let's pay attention. Or you're going to see more like we saw last night and, and a very slow, steady start. Manchester City, Arsenal would have been nil-nil at halftime if it hadn't been for David Luiz. So you'd be looking into the second half when you're starting to wear teams down. And I think that is where teams like Burnley, quite possibly Watford really, because they haven't got that many technicians in their team, um, will struggle. And I think that is a real positive for us. Because if we'd have been in this situation a couple of years ago, when we relied more on the soak up the pressure and hit them on the counter-attack and... It might have, might have made things a little bit more difficult. 
but I don't think you'll see as much of the element of the high press from Leicester, certainly in the first few games, because the the style of play and the squad that is selected, certainly the starting eleven that's going to be selected for for the first few games, has to be based on fitness. You've got to judge what you, what each individual is going to be capable of and what that that team collective is going to be capable of in those first couple of games. So I think we could, uh, and we have done already in the Premier League, seen team selections based on which 11 players are the fittest and will be able to carry out something like our regular match strategy for the first couple of games. And also there's the new addition of five substitutes um, can be used by by any side. I think it has to be on a uh, a three sub basis. I don't think um, you can make a maximum of three changes if you know what I mean. So you can make five substitutions, but at three different times. So you can't make five individual substitutions every five minutes towards the end of a game to try and run the clock down. Um, and injuries are going to play a part. Players getting back into the game is going to play a part. Look at the game with Arsenal and uh, Manchester City. Some Arsenal players going down in the first few minutes um, and it was, a, it was an injury towards the end. I know that was kind of a, a game incident rather than maybe a lack of fitness, but that's going to play its part. And also where teams are in the league. If you take, for example, in Germany, Borussia Dortmund lost last night at home against Mainz. That was the day after Bayern Munich won the league. So is there any possibility of the fact that Dortmund now can't win the league and they switched off and Mainz made the upset I think that's just a, a general thing that's going to happen maybe towards the end of the season so when you're looking at teams maybe in mid-table who have nothing to fear in terms of getting relegated or with going for European football and they're playing against a side who are doing just that trying to avoid relegation or qualifying for whichever European competition that's where I think there will be a, a huge bias towards those sides with something to play for because the other side doesn't have the crowd to play for because they're not there. Yes, they're watching on TV, but it's not quite the same. I don't think that's going to be the case straight away. But And with Leicester playing Watford, Watford right down at the bottom, Leicester still needing the points to qualify for the Champions League. It's, um, it's a good game on paper. I was confident about Leicester the first time round after the win against Villa. This time around... I think a draw rather than a Leicester win. Hopefully Vardy scores. The, the first goal in these games could be incredibly crucial, um, especially for a side like Leicester who will be able to keep the ball. If you can imagine Man City, if they score first early in the game. It could be a cricket score against some teams. They do play actually Burnley at uh, the Etihad on, I think it's Monday or Sunday. And I... I just hope that we don't lose straight away. That's the, and it's a very simple thing to say, but I just hope we don't do that because some teams I can see going two, three, four games on the bounds, losing in pretty quick succession because the games will come thick and fast. Um, hopefully Vardy scores. It's going to be really, it's going to be a really difficult game. But I think Leicester will just have too much possession for them. I, th I can't see Watford and their backline especially being able to keep the ball like we can, and. I, I, I know they're a dangerous side. The Corey's a very, very good player. Someone who would would actually be a, a, a decent signing for, for Leicester in his in his position. And they've got Droidini up front and they've got uh, Stella Feu and, and a number of other good players in the side. Um, 
and the, and the big winger as well cost a lot of money. Sorry, it's 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 a difficult game for Leicester, but I just feel that if we get a good start, early goal, or we're in possession of the ball for the majority of the first say thirty minutes, I I just see Leicester being able to control the game, and if they come away with a point, it might not be the worst point in the world. So I'm going to go a draw. I'm going to go for a one-one draw. I'm going to back Vardy to score that hundredth Premier League goal. And do it in front of Nigel Pearson and Craig Shakespeare, which we had for. I wonder if there'll be a wry smile from that. I'm pretty sure there won't be. But I'm going to go for a 1 1 draw. I think after all the build up and all the waiting, from a, a fan's point of view, it would be a real, real damp squib if we lost the first game back after, after three months away. I know football is back, but Leicester are back in this first game, Saturday lunchtime. Um, I would imagine there'll be a lot of people having um, barbecues and maybe have five other people around their houses to watch it on socially distanced together because you can't get out of the pub to watch it. Um, so after all the build-up, um, the the old slogan with you then, with you now, with you again, new shirts, all that kind of thing, it would be a little bit disappointed. I say a little bit, it'd be massively disappointing if we didn't get a positive result on Saturday. Um I usually try and base my predictions based on some kind of form or something like that, but I've got nothing to go on apart from the fact that uh, I had a game of FIFA earlier and it happened to be Leicester versus Watford and we won 3-0 and Vardy and Barnes were on the score sheet. So I've got nothing else to base it on, so I'm, I'm going for that. I've had to rely on FIFA for my football fix for the last three months, so I'll rely on it to make my prediction. 3-0, Vardy to get his 100th, Barnes to get a brace. That's tremendous. <laughs> that is tremendous. And then it's fast forward to the King Power on Tuesday for the visit of Brighton. And the club, they want goal celebrations video, Rob. Now, I know that you would never in a million years do that. And you know that I would probably more than likely not do that at all. It's just something I wouldn't do. And it's something more maybe for the kids. But... Do we do that? Do we do a? Uh, do we do it in front of the for Fox sake logo in the background or, or or whatever? Thinking out loud on air, not necessarily the best thing ever, but they want the goal celebration. So out there, if you want to do that, wherever you are, wearing a Leicester shirt or in front of a flag or whatever, um, you can send the club the videos. Go on the website. Go on social media. You can find them. Everyone's got a phone with a camera. Do that, and they also want good luck messages as well. So if you don't want to do the goal celebration, uh, you want to just send them a message. Again, go on there and see what they want. And also, I've seen that they want flags as well. I noticed a lot of the clubs, well, the two games that we've seen so far, they've had all sorts of seats covered over with uh, different sheets saying this, that and the other and, and whatever. But I think they want flags as well. So if you've got a Leicester flag or banner or whatever, um, by all accounts, you can give it to the club and they'll give it you back at the end of the season. I noticed that the supporters service Twitter handle was LCFC help with Jim and Donna, etc. They they said that they want them and they can put them in the ground. So, yeah, get in contact with the club that way. And they'll all be on show against Brighton on Tuesday evening, um, which is good because a good friend of mine is a Brighton fan. And I'm working on, because I'm working again, unbelievable. And on Tuesday morning, I'll finish about, I'll get back into... Um, into Northwest Leicestershire about half two, so that's a good steady afternoon in the sun 
um, having a barbecue because it's meant to be really nice. Um, a socially distanced five or six person barbecue around around his actually, and then watching the game and hopefully Leicester absolutely smash Brighton. That would be the game where if the results at the weekend doesn't maybe go Leicester's way, it's kind of a perfect game saying that in kind of brackets because if you had to think of a team to play at home, I would say Brighton for Leicester would be a, an ideal matchup at the King Power and it would be kind of an ideal game to get us back on track. Saying that, we don't know. And to preview the game is absolutely impossible until what happens on Saturday. We would have some kind of... We would have been able to do it in, in, in some way, shape or form previously. But I, th- I think the only thing you can say is the way that Brighton play is not too dissimilar to Leicester. I think Potter's done a really good job there. They just need to improve every aspect of their of their playing, of their playing stuff, of their squad. And just on paper, two sides who play a very similar style of football, slightly different formation, but Leicester are just generally better. And without any influence of maybe home advantage or or the crowd or anything like that, just put them onto the field in that kind of environment on a nice day, the better side is going to win more times than the other. Might not be the case, but I do fancy Leicester on Tuesday. Yeah, you would think so. Leicester like to keep the ball. Brighton like to keep the ball. Uh, Leicester are better at football than Brighton. You know, you could you could see that football. by the players. Well, yeah, that, I mean, football, for all the talk about it, all the analysis, all of the various hundreds of thousands of podcasts that are out there, etc., it is... A fairly simple game in that respect. Uh, it doesn't ever predict the result for you, but if you look at the quality of players that Leicester have got, they're better than Brighton's. If you look at the results that Leicester have had this season compared to Brighton's, they're much better. You look at the league table, Leicester are much better. So if it's just a game of football where you've got two teams trying to outplay each other and Leicester are better at football, surely we're going to win it. Um, and I think in that respect, we've got a fairly reasonable opening couple of games. You know, we could have had a couple of absolute shockers of, of fixtures waiting and looming over us. But you got two teams that are very much embroiled in the relegation battle that will probably be looking at other games um, as more realistic opportunities to pick up points. Not that they're going to not try in this game at all, but, you know, they haven't got the the fans behind them. They haven't got the the momentum yet of a, of a relegation scrap, really, because we're just restarting. So Leicester should, in theory, just be able to put the ball down, do some possession exercises like I'm sure they do for hours and hours a day on the training ground and pass their way through both teams with relative ease. Should. Should. Just go through the fixtures. I'm pretty sure you've got them there. So Watford away on Saturday. Then it's Tuesday at home against Brighton. Then it will be the Sunday when we play in the FA Cup. I've just pressed on the link now. Don't want that. Go away. Um, when we play Chelsea in the FA Cup, just like Leicester to win the FA Cup. I did a um, I did a podcast. I did the uh, the Liverpool Day Jobbers podcast where you're in vision when doing the podcast, which was interesting because my internet connection at the time wasn't exactly fantastic. And it dropped out a couple of times, but I managed to kind of recover the situation enough to not make myself look a fool. Um, 
regarding the technology. Obviously, what I said was complete garbage. But um, we were talking about the fixtures and um, and the FA Cup. And, and they did, because I've been on it a few times, they did mention, oh, yeah, you've said before about Leicester and the FA Cup and not winning it, etc., and being a real big thing for you personally. I said, well, yeah, but all Leicester fans as well. How Leicester would it be to win the FA Cup with no one at Wembley? It's just, it's written, isn't it? It's there, it's there. But we got play Chelsea... Um, on Sunday and then we go to Everton on the Wednesday and then the following weekend um, we're into the dates now in uh, July so rather than the same natural day of the week at home against Palace away to Arsenal away to Bournemouth home against Sheffield United away to Tottenham home against Manchester United two games where hopefully the season is wrapped up whether we're in third or fourth doesn't matter one of those positions is what we want to be in and clear of whoever's in fifth by the time we play Tottenham away in the second last game of the season. We don't really want it to go that far. And then, whether we're still in the FA Cup or not, fingers crossed that we are. So, some good fixtures there until those final two, but we will just see what happens. And uh, we will be, of course, bringing you the podcast because uh, there's nothing else for us to do, actually, Rob, to be honest, uh, uh, apart from work. And, uh, and and that's about it, really. We can't go anywhere. Like, the pub's closed. Cracky, what am I doing? Anyway, away from what's going to happen on the field, off the field. Now, you can buy, if you haven't got the Leicester shirt at the moment, you can buy the current Leicester shirt. I think it's for around about 30-odd quid, 33 quid. And it has uh, written around the badge, with you then, with you now, with you again, kind of all the way around the badge. And all the profits of those shirt sales will go to the Vichai Foundation. So a really good initiative by Leicester uh, to move on some stock, basically. That's still there because the shop's being closed. Let's just put it out there. That's, That's one reason. But also... To have that around the badge, when I first looked at it, I just thought, well, actually, I'd quite like the shirt anyway. But then looking at that, it it, it does remind you, I suppose, that A, it was bought at a time when everything that's going on is going on. But also, it would remind me straight away that the money has gone to the Vichai Foundation, which has then gone to all the charities that we know of and all the, all the, uh, the, the good causes that it's gone to. Also, um, really good news regarding the, the money from season tickets. So season tickets and Leicester being a very well-run club, one of the first to then refund and say they were going to do that and refund season tickets, but also giving people the option to donate money to, again, the Vichai Foundation. 80000 was raised pretty much straight away. I presume that's gone over 100000 already. Uh, fantastic by the fans. It was an easy thing for the club to do, but... That for me, Rob, in in this time, especially when people people's finances are, are are under scrutiny, which it is all the time, but especially now, that's an amazing gesture from the fans. But it also it also means that Leicester City supporters trust the club and trust the Vichai Foundation to spend all of the money on worthy causes. That's why I think an awful lot of money has gone and also why this shirt scheme I think is going to be a great success because when you donate money to charity, anyone who donates any money to any charity, you have to be you have to be quite secure in mind knowing that it's going to be going to the right cause, etc, etc. And people obviously seriously trust this Vichai Foundation and so they should just looking at their track record. 
Yeah, of course. And I think the fact that it's it supports predominantly local charities as well. And hopefully there's not too much red tape involved in the processing of the the donations and, and that it can actually be used in the community relatively instantly to support people during this difficult time because that would that would be a real um good sense of um uh, of support of community support i think for leicester fans not only to as you say first and foremost to get the the shirt it's a nice shirt this year uh to get the shirt with that particular um those that particular wording around around the badge it'll be a somewhat of a limited edition and as you say it served to be a good reminder of of this time that we've that's really pretty much unprecedented for since since world war ii um and it will also hopefully instantly help thousands of local people who are struggling for whatever reason And, and i know a lot of local charities are struggling because they would usually be hosting um large fundraising events that they rely upon heavily to, uh, not just to help people in the community but to keep running year upon year so hopefully this massive cash injection and 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 sense of goodwill from the Leicester fans which is always there you know you look at the Birch's end of season runners always raise loads of money uh, and I think Leicester as a as a city is, and, and as a Leicestershire as a county they've always been very um caring and, and there's always been a real sense of community since, since it's a relatively small city um and all of that comes together at this time through football and you know Leicester City as a football club is a central hub for well hundreds of thousands of people uh and it's all knitted together and, and it's another s- sort of sense of the fact that the club and the supporters really understand each other and know that when one one sets off on a venture, either the club or the supporters, that they'll be backed by the other, uh, and that is quite a rarity in in the modern day. So it's something that we I think we should all be proud of. Speaking of the players, and speaking of the transfer rumours that are going around, why not finish on? Because there's been a lot of talk regarding Ben Chilwell, and it's, we we don't normally comments on the kind of loose rumours that we'll throw around, especially in the pre-season or post-season or whatever kind of time of the season that we are in the moment. But um, normal kind of rumours that go around. But we'll concentrate on the ones that are kind of established and are, are, are commented by journalists who, who who we follow. Percy, I've always always said John Percy's very um, well-known as being absolutely on the ball with, with a number of Midlands clubs, especially Leicester. Um, always gets the exclusives from the likes of Vardy. I think he's a um, a journalist who's well trusted by by the players, and um, and also even people like Rob Dorset say from Sky. And it's just been well touted that Chelsea uh, won Ben Chilwell, and uh, Rogers today is saying, look, there's, there's there's no problem with playing him at all. It's there's it, not for sale, job done. You know, fine. We all know the case is that's not the case, and. That players do move from Leicester. Um, I've said an, a number of times, and I think you've agreed uh, on all occasions that if Ben Chilwell leaves Leicester, it will be a disappointment. But also, it's a position of the field where we have cover already um, in James Justin, and also because of his 
performance, you know, only going back one game into the Premier League against Aston Villa. He's he's proven himself on a few occasions, but that performance against Villa was was really really good. And Fuchs staying on for another year kind of gives you that impression as well that there could well be a little bit of movement because Fuchs would have been an easy not saying easy get get rid of Christian Fuchs, but if he was to leave and Chilwell was staying, then you've already got the fullback covered. Now you've got the fact that. Fuchs is staying, I might add in two and two together and get him five. I've always said if Chilwell goes, he's going to go for a lot of money and he is not easily replaceable, but again, it is a left-back position. And he's got four years left on his deal. He's an England international, England first-choice left-back, a young English, English player. They're going to get top whack and they should get top whack. And also, I will throw in there, if it turns out that Ben Chilwell has turned around to Leicester or at some point in the future actually says to Leicester, look, I would like to leave and join Chelsea. I'm going to say the same thing as I said about Harry Maguire, about especially Danny Drinkwater, is that I don't blame them. If they want to go and play for Chelsea, one of the biggest clubs in England, look at the players that they're buying as well, Chelsea, they're, they're, they mean business next year, then fine, you've had your career at Leicester, you've done really well and you've gone on to a different club. There you go. Not a problem. Things move on. Players do move clubs. But if he does go, he would have to go for somewhere around or close to what Harry Maguire went for. Yeah, you, you've 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 delivered the facts there, I think, Pete. And I don't I don't think you're putting necessarily two and two together and coming up with the wrong answer. Um, but I don't I don't think there is an answer at the moment. And and I'm and I know footballers are thinking about their careers all the time and thinking about that next move and and am I playing at the club that that suits my level could I play at a higher level or for a larger club with a bigger reputation whatever but I really would imagine that that Brendan Rodgers will have put an arm around Ben Chilwell and said look I don't care what your opinion is right now I don't care what the media's opinions are right now I don't care if Chelsea declare an interest in you. We've got nine games in the league to the end of the season, potentially a handful more in the FA Cup. And we've got a real chance of finishing this season on a high, finishing third, potentially winning the FA Cup. Uh, and then anything that happens after that, we'll deal with then. But what I would say is if you look at Ben Chilwell's development, his... His ability as a footballer and and how that's increased has pretty much matched the the increase in quality and success that we've seen at at Leicester. Really, um, obviously, you take away the anomaly of the of the um, Premier League winning season when when Fuchs was more the uh, the starter, but he has developed at a similar pace that we have to where he is now England's in in our eyes and I think many people's eyes England's first choice left back um but Leicester City are third in the Premier League so why shouldn't England's third uh, first choice left back be playing at the club that are third in the Premier League third in the Premier League is a very very strong position it's Champions League qualification so I don't think there's any reason for him to have particularly itchy feet right now, especially considering the fact that he's still got his best years ahead of him, really, um, 
in terms of his his age and his development and his exposure to to top flight football both domestically and internationally. So he's got a long term contract. He's at a successful club that you know Touchwood will be playing Champions League football next season. Have a, have a season, another season with Leicester. See if they can maintain the top four finish or, or even sort of push a little bit closer towards the title. Have a little um, dabble in the Champions League and, and, and just see where it goes. I don't think he should be in any rush to move. Uh, I think the club stance is very clear. Um, but I think having Christian Fuchs there is is good for two reasons, really. One, as a fail-safe for, for a Chilwell exit, but two, for the character that we mentioned earlier uh, and the, the experience as a really good professional, a really experienced international, former international, of course, uh, but also he's got a great personality as well. And I think all of those things are a reason why everybody will be happy that he's staying at the club. But he, you, you're right, in the chi- in uh, taking... Just in the Chilwell situation, it it provides us with a bit of uh, an insurance policy. It does. I mean, I'm not kicking the guy out of the club at all. I'd, I'd prefer him to stay. It's just that if it comes to it, if at the end of the season, not, nothing now, it has to be at the end of the season. But if at the end of the season he looks at it and goes, actually, I, w- I want to go, then... Then and and if he does move for mega money, just like just like all the other players have done, you look at the players who have gone. I know the Riyadh situation kind of went on and on, and and there was a tantrum thrown on a couple of occasions, etc. But you look at the, the other players, Maguire gone to Manchester United for big money, captain of Manchester United now. It did did well at Leicester. I, so I I understand if players and and this this will separate myself from. A lot of kind of a lot of football fans, but when Harry Maguire moved to Manchester United, I then didn't turn around and just absolutely despise the guy because he's gone and played for Manchester United. He used to be one of my favourite players at Leicester for those couple of seasons, and we've made a, a huge profit. We've brought through Soyuncu, who's been an absolute revelation, and I look back on Harry Maguire's time at the club with great fondness and go, well done, you're now playing for Manchester United and you're captain of them. And when he plays for England, fantastic. You look at other players who have moved on to, to clubs. N'Golo Kante only gave us one year and then went to Chelsea. Danny Drinkwater's situation, still for me, I can I understand it went completely wrong for him. Absolutely wrong on many levels, playing, personal and all sorts. And, he, and it's really now a, a, a very sad story. But... At the time, Chelsea coming in for him, I and people said, "Oh, why is he gone there?" Well, I I couldn't understand anyone's reasoning why you wouldn't at that time, with the way that Leicester were playing and 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 Chelsea coming in, I thought it would have been a a, a very sensible personal decision to to go. So if he ends up wanting to go and he goes, then then fine. But Leicester will be getting some some big big money for a player. But if he wants to stay, and if you look at his career, you think, well. Actually, Leicester are third in the league, and if they stay that way, then Champions League, etc. Who knows? Chelsea might not even qualify for the Champions League. Um, but it's just the way it is. Maybe in this time of you know COVID nineteen, etc. Even footballers who are paid way beyond virtually, I'd imagine, every single person listening to this podcast means that 
even footballers and all the money that they have maybe take stock slightly and if there is slight reservations maybe about moving to to clubs maybe they decide actually to do so or is it the opposite and they they stick with what they've got only time will tell but I'll, I'll just echo your sentiments there on the fact that I have no bitterness towards any of the players that you mentioned and their transfers they all made sense for the progression of their careers at the time much as we'd like them to have progressed with Leicester and, and grown with the club they ultimately have a very short career they went to um you'd say bigger clubs really and um you know Danny Drinkwater in particular yeah it's not worked out for him but I don't I don't think I don't agree with the Leicester fans that sort of laugh at him and say how serves you right and all that he's he's made some um a couple of uh poor decisions shall we say other clubs but really at Chelsea it just it seemed at the time that they were just bringing it in to boost the English quota here's somebody who's played a few times for England and did well in the Premier League um and you know it was it was it seemed like the right move for him at the time in terms of the fact that when when are you next going to get a club like Chelsea sniffing around to offer you an opportunity so if Chilwell does go I'd, I'd have exactly the same opinion um, as you and and as I have done over those those other transfers, really, it's we'd like we'd like him to stay and we'd like him to progress with the club. But if if he's taken stock of, uh, I think you're right. Actually, you know, footballers are human. At the end of the day, they're massively um, well paid humans, but they're still humans nonetheless. And if his ambition is to go and play for one of the established big clubs in the Premier League, then. Fair play to him, and who are we to stand in his way? Yes, we were a big part of his development, but again, it'll be a tidy sum of money for us, and it'll give an opportunity for us to to bring in another effective player at left back, and we've got some serious playing power in the in the transfer market, in that we could uh, recruit a another high level left back to go straight in if we needed to. That's a, a different question as well, I'd imagine, with with the finances. Would Leicester be in the position to throw money in the transfer markets without maybe the sale of Chilwell? Would that be the case? Do they look at it and go, actually, if we can get 70 million quid for him, then that 70 million quid can instantly go on either some of it on a replacement or a centre forward or to, to, to buy other players in different areas of the squad? We haven't moved into our new training ground as yet. That's going to happen at the end of the season. There's also no news as yet on the ground redevelopments. I know there was planning permission made for a statue of Vishai, but I presume that will be part of the wider redevelopment. So there's still an awful lot of money being spent away from the first team squad. And, you know, 70 million quid, here it is, up front or in a couple of instalments. It might be the case that even though we're a very, very rich club, that they do take it and, and you know, and especially if it's going to be used, especially to maybe get another, say, centre-forward in, uh, depending on what happens, obviously. If there's something maybe happens to Vardy, Touchwood, it doesn't, but uh, that would be a possible reason for a sale. But anyway, all this uh, we don't know as yet. Um, again, we haven't moved into that new training ground. That's going to happen at the end of the season. Hopefully there's going to be some news on the redevelopments of the ground, or is it because there's going to be more than likely no one in the ground for the foreseeable future. Everything's just been put on hold. I'm not entirely sure. We will see. Uh, finish, really, Rob, on, on the on the Premier League uh, dream team, on the Premier League, fancy Premier League. 
because I thought I was being clever, right? And I know that normally doesn't work out, and it's not really worked out this time, mainly because I've changed my entire pretty much squad and used my bench boost. And if you don't play fancy Premier League, you won't know that what that means. But um, And I got 44 points from the two games yesterday, thinking I've done really well. I've checked the league, and I'm up to 19th place. But it turns out everyone else has pretty much done the same, and I've not moved up quite as many places as I thought. I am one place above you, though, Rob, and there's only two points splitting us. You're in 20th, and I'm in 19th, and we are what's it, 10th place. Oh, God, it's it's Perco. Perco's in 10th on 1,658, and I'm on 1,624. So I am 34 points behind... Uh, Perco and you are then obviously 36 points so we're not far off but I thought I pulled a bit of a fast one there it turns out everyone did the same I didn't because I totally forgot the first thought I had of Fantasy Premier League uh, was when you tweeted me about the Norwood goal not being a goal and do you get several bonus points which I I do apologise I meant to respond to and I forgot Um, but that's just what my memory is like because I forgot to play Fantasy Premier League I forgot to change my team I completely forgot about it in all the excitement of actual football being back Um, so I didn't do mine and I haven't actually checked the league since so maybe so I'm presuming then that the games last night were part of their own game week and that from this weekend, uh, i.e. tomorrow night, Friday night, that will be a new game week. So I've only actually missed out on two games worth of points. Is that right? Uh, no, no, actually. It's it's the whole game week includes those as well. So Oh, you're joking. Aston Villa and Sheffield United, oh. Man City and Arsenal, they, they all play two games. And uh, you've done all right. You got 40 points instead of 44 because you've got Edison in goal and you've captured his De Bruyne. So he got the most points anyway. So you're laughing anyway. So without checking, you've done quite well. Um, what you will fare in the you know this week, I'm not entirely sure. But then again, my team's full of full of Arsenal and Sheffield United players. But there you go. We we, we shall see. Um, so there's a bit of a warning to everyone. Make sure you do check your fancy football teams. We will be back, Rob, at some point in the near future. Maybe this time next week, we will see. Hopefully, we've got some points under about, hopefully, six points if we are back. In fact, we'll, we'll try and do it before the next, uh, before the Cup game. So, after Brighton on Tuesday, so maybe Wednesday or something like that. But uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening. And make sure you do follow us on social media at FFSPod for Fox 8 Podcast is on Twitter. And if you haven't followed us on Facebook as yet, just type in for Fox 8 Podcast and you can find us on Facebook. Give us a like and it means you'll get all of our notifications, which is generally any very important news from the club or it gives all the links to how you listen to the podcast and where you can listen to. How do you listen to the podcast? Do you listen to it on Apple Podcast, on iTunes or on SoundCloud, on Spotify? We're on all of those. So make sure you do give us a like on those. Give us a follow. And also, as many podcasts are saying now, give us a five-star rating because it means that we'll go higher up the charts of football podcasts and Leicester podcasts in particular. And uh, and there we go. So give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or give us any stars, whatever stars you want, and, and a review. Um, that's about it. I can't think of anything else, Rob. I'm going to quickly, whilst you finish off, have a quick look at Twitter in case anyone's mentioned us. No, I think we've covered everything and we've done relatively well there. You know, we're only up to, what, about an hour and 12, which is 
not bad for us. We've been known to go over a little bit. We do try to stick to the to the hour ish, but we haven't been on the podcast for a little while, and we haven't definitely haven't had any football to look forward to in in a very long while. So um, hopefully everybody's looking forward to the return to action of Leicester City. Hopefully everybody's um, planning some safe ways to watch it with a small group of friends and family. Um, as Pete said, it would be good for as many people as possible to send their videos into the club. I'm not necessarily sure that it, it, that's up my street, but if it is up yours, then by all means, absolutely go for it. Uh, I'm actually going to watch Leicester versus Watford on Saturday lunchtime on my own because I my BT Sports subscription is only for my phone, for one, so I can't really share <laughs> watching that with anybody else. Uh, and I'm having a bit of a barbecue later on in the afternoon, and I've very much made it clear to all of the guests they are not to arrive until Leicester City versus Watford has finished. So that's where that's where I'll be watching. I'll be watching in the sunshine on my phone in my back garden. Well, I will miss the majority of the game because I'll be at work. Um, it's Royal Ascot as we speak, so I'll be doing the broadcast for Royal Ascot until one. So I'll miss the first half an hour. I'll be able to see it in the studio, but then... I'll be driving back, so I'll have it on the radio. So it'll be mainly radio for me, and I might catch the, the final few seconds on, on TV. But hopefully it goes well. Hopefully everyone enjoys the game, however you watch it. Um, and uh, we've just got to try and remember who's who and what, what happens in football. Hopefully, hopefully we score a few tries, and I'll go for a first goal for Daniel Vardy. <laughs> 